0: Miracy.
1: So it's worthwhile when you're looking at a new business model as a new form of technology, basically. What are the downsides of this? What are all the reasons not to do this business model and to really think that through?
0: Have you ever pondered the intricacies of business models in the coaching world? That's precisely the rich terrain that we're looking into in today's topic with a very special guest, someone who's long navigated the diverse landscapes of ethical marketing and conscious entrepreneurship. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped tens of thousands of coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. This is a podcast where we answer burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. Now, imagine selecting a robust business model only to find out it's not quite the right fit for your coaching style or your audience. It's akin to picking a shoe solely based on its look without considering the comfort. Not always a good move. And today, I'm thrilled to have invited Tad Hargrave, the force behind Marketing for Hippies. He's the author of 16 books and workbooks on marketing. One of his clients even said, Tad is to marketing what Steve Jobs was to Apple. And together, he and I will untangle the nuances of various business models, understanding their strengths and discerning where they might fall short. Welcome, Tad.
1: Thank you so much. Really good to be here with you.
0: I'm excited to have you on the show. I always love the conversations that we get into. And before we dive into the topic, would you just share a little bit of your background with our listeners?
1: Yeah, sure. When I was 18, I worked for a franchise of the leadership development company where I learned a lot about marketing and sales. And some of it was good and some of it was the pushy, aggressive, hard close material. And I had grown up a hippie, you know, went to Waldorf school and all of this. And then I'd gotten into this whole world of business and pushy sales techniques. And I really had to step back for a bit, went to all the anarchist protests against the IMF and the World Bank. And finally, I just saw how many of my friends needed help with marketing. And I knew something. I knew enough to know that their ideas weren't very good and spent the next decade, you know, after the, the little anarchist break, spent the next decade really reflecting on and learning about how to make marketing more ethical and began to see how often we feel like we have to choose, you know, it's either got to be ethical or effective and it can't be both. And so that's the, I suppose the the main thrust of my work is that you don't have to choose.
0: Now let's dive into our topic today and let's get into business models. And I just want to set the stage for a moment because when we talk about business models in the coaching industry that we're in, Or service-based entrepreneurs, because we have a lot of consultants, healers, practitioners that listen in as well. There's a lot of business models that come to mind. There's more of a traditional, if I can use that word, a traditional approach is that one-on-one coaching model. A lot of coaches start with that. Then there's group coaching. Some of them will start with that, some will evolve to that, but that's gained a lot of traction as well as online courses. People might use that either to test an idea or as a scalable option. There's membership platforms. There's, you know, one of the ones that we did, software as a service platform. That's really begun to revolutionize how business owners and coaches interact and provide additional support to their clients. So, Tad, how do you want to do this? What would be a good place, a good starting point for our listeners to begin to understand from their perspective, which business model should I pick? How do I know? Is it right or wrong? Where should we begin with this conversation?
1: Let's begin with this. I'm curious, how do you define that term business model? What's your understanding of that, those words?
0: I look at it from a couple different perspectives. One way that I define it is from a customer perspective journey experience? What's the flow that if somebody is struggling with a challenge and they come to me for transformation, for a solution, for specific outcomes, what's the journey that they're going to experience with me? And when I mean journey, it could be with free content or free trainings that they receive from me to entry-level programs to more intricate programs or offers to high-level offers. So, you know, what's that path that somebody would follow so that they can get those outcomes that I'm able to support people with? So I look at it from the customer perspective, and then I also look at it, where do I generate my revenue? Like, from a business perspective, what are my revenue sources? And understanding that gives me insight into what my business model is. How do you define it? Well,
1: I like Mark Silver's definition. Mark silver defines business model as just how does money enter into your business and I would also add and stay in your business. Of course, if we're talking about nonprofit or just a passion project, the structure is going to be different. but when we're talking about business, of course money is a the thing there. So how does money enter and stay in your business? I think your point is uh, well placed there's there's two sides to a business model. The other way I might look at business model is it's the structure. It's the architecture of your business. And just like a house, well, a house has an external side to it and an internal side to it. So business model is both of those. It's both the external facade of the thing that the customer sees. And there's what we know is there that keeps it all running. And yeah, both are important. And I think it's easy to get lost in one or the other, those people can get very lost in their internal business systems and completely forget about what the experience is like for their client moving through. Or they can get so caught up in the experience their clients are going through that they don't actually have the systems to support that. So when I think about business model, I'm really thinking about systems. I'm thinking about structure, I'm thinking a lattice work or that the whole business really hangs upon. So I have this pyramid, five levels. The base of it is the ethics. The next level is niche. Then there's point of view. Then there's business model and on top of that is hubs, meaning how do you get found or discovered. So it's fourth. It's not the very first thing. There's a few levels that really have to be in place. So if somebody comes to me and they're still doing a lot of the pushy selling type, like they have that philosophy about marketing and sales and they're trying to be everything to everybody. So they've got no niche and they haven't really therefore honed in on their philosophy or point of view. There's not much there to build a business model on. So this conversation sort of assumes there's some alignment in those first three. And then the other thing I would say is, and I loved what you said, the shoe metaphor is so perfect. I may make a video and credit you on that is, it's very easy to look from the outside. You say, oh, that business model looks so good. Well, apps, that's the new thing. You know, or I've got to write a book. That's the thing. Or I've got to do guest posting. Or I've got, You know, there's a million ways to get clients to work with clients it should be a mastermind. No, it should be a membership. No, it should be a mentorship. No, it should be a school. No, it should, yeah, And it's easy to get lost in the glamour of maybe a particular person we see doing it and talking it up or, you know, an ad really hooks us of how it needs to be. And it might look good, but it might not fit you. Nothing wrong with the shoe. It's just, it, it may not fit. And so we have to have something that fits us and our nature. I talked about there are these four S's of business model like a Venn diagram of these four, and they all matter. One is that the business model has to be safe. And I mean that in two ways. One, it has to be safe for them to approach us and check us out. There has to be something in the structure of our business that allows somebody to not have to interact with us at all, but still learn about it. So of course, this is a lot of the, the pink spoons. You know, People might talk about the freebies, the, the videos, the articles, the quizzes, the audio, the podcast, just where they can learn about you Get a sense if they like your vibe and your point of view. But it should also be safe for you because people have a lot of fears in their business and um, fears of being seen. And if you set up a business model, that asks you to do things that are terrifying. For, you know, you're terrified of public speaking and then you say, oh, I've got to do signature talks live in person, you know, or my business model will be going to networking events, but you're a really huge introvert. That's not safe for you. It's not going to be open to work. So safety is number one. Second is it needs to be sustainable for you. It's got to be something you could do consistently over time. It's going to generate the revenue that you need. People fall so short on this often. It's not uncommon to sit down with somebody and say, okay, if you were full, if your calendar was full, would you be making enough money? And they realize, no, even if the business model worked, it's not sustainable. So the, there's, that's a structural issue, not a marketing issue. And then it needs to also be simple. Some business models get too crazy because people see all these ideas out there. And so I'll do all of them. I'll have a membership, mentorship, and, that, and both of those will have three levels each. And then I'm going to have an app. And then I'm going to and people just can burn themselves into the ground by trying to do everything. So the business model ideally should be very, very simple. Not too many moving parts. Um, not too few, but it's, you know just the right amount. Simple, not simplistic. You know, simplistic business model is I've I've built it. Here's my you know two year coaching program. Who wants it? That's simplistic. So we don't want to be naive, but we also don't want to overcomplicate. And then. The last one is that it needs to be satisfying. It's got to be, you know, gives us the kind of lifestyle that we want to have. You always start with the lifestyle and you back your business model into that. You never start with the business model and try to figure out how to make it satisfying. You got to think about how do I want to spend my days? How do I want to live? I have this uh, offer called the puttering sessions where basically I'm offering coaching while I tidy my home. And I did it because my house was just getting so messy and because I really resented tidying. But I thought, well, what if I did them together? Because one time I tried to do the dishes while doing a coaching session and somebody said, are you doing the dishes? And yes, I felt so guilty. I thought, but what if I just made that part of the deal? What if it was just these sessions are a little cheaper, but I will be puttering around the house while we do it. And so I offered 10 of them. They sold out immediately. They went really well. And so now that's actually a core part of my business model. And it just ties into the satisfying bit. You know, it ties into the lifestyle piece. So that's very satisfying. I get to do two things at once. So those are the four. It's got to be safe primarily for our people to check us out. It's got to be sustainable for us. It's got to be simple. and It has to be satisfying. So to me, whatever people do, as long as it checks those four boxes, it's a win. Whatever they use, because all sorts of business models, all sorts of ways of offering and structuring things, they all work probably, but it may be different for each person.
0: Now, you said something interesting earlier. You know, it's easy to get lost in the glamour of a business model. And you use that shoe analogy that we used earlier. How does a new coach not fall into that? Well, they're doing it, so I'll do it that way approach. And how do they pick that business model that's most aligned with them? How do they even begin to go there?
1: Good question. You've got to really know who you are before you create a business model. Another way to look at it is this. Let's use the shoe analogy. I think that's a good one. If you're going to pick a shoe, well, first of all, it's got to be comfortable to wear. It's got to last a long time, but it's also got to look good with what you're wearing. I mean, style is a thing. You know, you can have these really ugly hiking boots, but your uh, niche is, you know, the three piece suit, tuxedo crowd or whatever. Well, that's going to really stick out. So that's not going to work. So it's good to know who you are, but a lot of times people don't actually know who they are. And so they get into a coaching business and... It's the same with permaculture. It's the same with yoga. You know, I said like, oh, this can help everybody. Oh my gosh, the world is my oyster. Then somewhere along the line, somebody says, we go, focus on your niche. So they think, oh, that means I have to just pick a particular crowd, which of course is not necessarily what it means. You can have a niche that feels very fulfilling. and I'm helping people in the same thing I struggled with before. And I've got a very clear point of view about it. But then because they don't really know themselves, if you're a quiet, shy person, that's probably the vibe of your business. And then... Your gifts give the shape of it, give the structure to it. So sometimes people don't know what their nature is. They don't know what their gifts are. And a few other things about them. For example, I used to lead summer camps, youth, environmental, and social justice summer camps, which was a lot of holding space for people to share and just listen. And I'm not very good at that, at the scan, you know, the holding space. I got better at it but I just wanted to talk. And so then I realized, oh, you know, I can teach workshops. People actually pay to hear you talk. I can knock as much as I want if I'm teaching a workshop. So that suited me better. So if you're feeling stuck around the business model, it may just be that you need to get to know yourself better via whatever assessments or tools, human design, astrology, whatever works for you, a DISC model. It's worth you know delving into that. And then looking at what is the structure that's going to be most supportive of my nature.
0: I'm thinking about when I... First got started before even the coach's console and started my own coaching practice. I started with the one-on-one because of my introverted nature. Exactly what you said a moment ago, I'm really good at holding space. I can do that really well for one person, even though I feel like I'm new in my coaching skills, even though they're inherent, I still feel wobbly using them in this particular way. And so that gave me the most confidence in the midst of my uncertainties. And so while things were weird and wobbly and awkward and new, I didn't hesitate to put myself out there because it was aligned. Then over time, my business model evolved. Once I got comfortable with that, once I honed in my coaching skills and I consistently working with client after client, result after result, success story after success story, I was like, wow, I found my stride. This is awesome how can I help more people? And then from there, my business model evolved. So once you pick a business model, doesn't mean that's going to be the, you know, that's it forever, and then you're done. Like over time, it may stay that way. I know another coach that I used to work with, she's been doing one-on-one coaching. I mean, my gosh, she had been in business for four or five years when I worked with her, and that was 19 years ago. And she's still doing one-on-one coaching. Her business model has not changed. So it could remain the same, and it might evolve depending on your own goals, your own personal nature. A lot of times what I see new coaches doing is, first of all, they don't pick a model that's aligned. They're like, oh, my friend Susie, she's doing this, so I'm going to do that too. Here we go. And then, you know, a couple months later, she's like, this is not working. How does a coach know they maybe picked the wrong business model or one that's not effective for them? Maybe it's a good shoe for her friend, but it's the wrong fit for her. How much time should they give it before they... Learn from that and move forward without feeling like they've failed or without that feeling of giving up.
1: Here's one thing I'd recommend to every coach before you take on a business model is to sit down. The list of reasons why to do that business model probably appear just automatically because of how you got introduced to it. It's like technology. Every time they introduce a new technology, it's always upside, baby. No downside to this new technology It's just going to save us and it's going to liberate us. That's the other thing every new technology has in common and none of the downside gets named. So it's worthwhile when you're looking at a new business model as a new form of technology, basically. What are the downsides of this? What are all the reasons not to do this business model and to really think that through? And number two, to talk to other people We're doing that same business model and ask them candidly, what are the reasons to do this? What are the reasons not to do this? What are the reasons that this is a really bad idea?
0: Anything else that coaches should consider? Because one of the things that I know is that coaches, they'll give something a try and then they're so quick to give up on it. I'm like, oh, it didn't work. And next thing they know, they've tried five or six different things, but they never really tried anything thoroughly. They never tested, vetted, piloted allowed enough time for feedback, true insight, course correction. So how does a coach know how to navigate that with their business model?
1: I think if you're a new coach, you're approaching a business model. Very first thing, just make sure you really know yourself whatever format that is. Number two, really think through the potential downsides of this new approach, this new business model. Number three, talk to other coaches who are currently using that business model and ideally have for a while. Ask them what do they see as the upsides, downsides, uh, potential consequences of that business model. And then number fourth, just building on what you're saying, beta test it. And don't promise that this is your new business model forever, but you can reach out to people and say, hey, I'm trying something new for the next week, month. Order, year, whatever it is, and let yourself just test it out to see, try a small version of it to see if it feels aligned. Then, if it's not working, then it's really critical to know why it's not working. Because what people do, as you're saying, there's this kind of reactivity of, well, it's not working, so let's just throw it out. We'll start again. It's a failure. Maybe, but maybe what's happening with an offer, for example, is you did not reach enough people. It's just you didn't get attention of enough people. Just based on the numbers, you sent out an email to how many people? 12 people. How many people do you need in your program? 50. Okay, there's the problem. That's we start there. But then it might be that you didn't filter well enough. Like the relevance was not established, the copywriting issue and niching issue. It could be that, no, it's very clear who it's for and what the problem is. And you've really nailed the target market, but the credibility isn't there. They don't trust you enough to actually join in. Or and it could be the value piece too. It might be, well, no, it's you nailed the relevance. They really trust you. But when they look at the offer, it just seems like the price is way too high to seem like a good enough deal. And you could have all of that. And it might just be that the risk is too high. It's like, I see the value, but my God, if this goes wrong. The risk isn't addressed or handled. So if that's, you know, you got to know where the breaking point is in this. If you have an offer and it doesn't work, just ask people why. If it really bombs and you and you're confused and you really don't understand why, email your list and say, I put up this offer. I think it's such a good offer. There's no response. Is it timing? Is it confusing? Does the price seem too high? Would you please let me know? I'd love your feedback. Get the feedback. Understand why the business model isn't working. You know, there's a difference between I don't like doing this thing. I'm realizing I don't like public speaking. I mean, if you realize it's just I hate doing this thing, there's two different paths you can take. One is you could just stop doing it. But the other is it's worth lingering before you go down that road and say, is it that I don't like this thing or is it just the way I'm doing it that I don't like? People say, I hate networking. Well, do you hate networking or do you hate the way you've been taught to do it? That maybe instead of going and networking and looking for clients. Number one, you go and networking and looking for hubs and you don't try to give out business cards. You try to get people's business cards and follow up in a generous way. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do the same thing. So before you throw it out, it's worth maybe also talking to other people who use that approach and say, am I just approaching this wrong? Is there a way to run a membership that isn't crazy and isn't going to burn me out? What did you do in your membership? And the other thing I would say also is way before all of this, when you're looking at a business model, you look at a lot of options when you're a new coach. I mean, there's so many things you could do. I would just study as many business models as you can. How do people do it? Because it's amazing what people do. A colleague of mine, Caroline Leah, she came up with a coaching subscription. So she just offers a subscription service where people pay, you know, a certain amount per month and just get coaching whenever. You know, and it's booked in, but they pay it There's little month. Another colleague of mine, uh, Danny Gardner, who wrote the book, Quiet Marketing, which is great. She does these tiny courses, and that's her business. And check out this business model. Well, most people are saying, well, offer freebie to get people on your list, where you missed. She instead... Does not allow people on her email list unless they bought something. And most of it is the are these tiny courses. It's not the way I do it or would do it. But when I heard her say it, I just, I just love the thought. It was such a completely innovative way. I did uh, weekend workshops, but I did pay what you can pricing. and I still do pay what you can pricing on my live workshop. So, you know, it's worth first of all looking at a lot of business models because we tend to see one. It's like, ah, uh, here's the typical sales funnel and I've got to, you know, do these things and it all leads to this whatever it is, that might not be the one for you. There are other options. So look around. Once you find the one that just seems intuitively, like this is the one that lights me up, I'm most excited about, picture the downsides, talk to other people, do a little beta test of it. And then if it's not working, instead of reacting, respond and just sit with it and say, okay, why is this not working? And is this fixable? So you can set up, So business model, it's not just the architecture of your business, but the architecture of your year. And that's something I would really encourage and urge people to sit down and do is to just sit down and map out how do you want to spend your year? Like, are there festivals you want to go to? Do you want to go traveling? Do you want to take certain months off? That's a part of your business model as well. And the same thing with how do you want your weeks? Do you want to work Monday through Friday from 9 to 5? Or would you rather just work two days a week very hard or three days a week very hard? There's all sorts of ways to do it, and there's no right or wrong. But we get stuck in these boxes we inherit. And there's no particular reason to do it that way.
0: When I think back to our business model and the iterations that it's gone through, it's evolved over time. And I think about some of the new offers we've put out there or the evolutions that we've gone through. And most of them, we did not knock it out of the ballpark. Most of them went through three iterations before we could have enough intel and knowledge and insight to answer that list of did we reach people, was there relevancy, was there credibility, that whole amazing list that you took us through, it really took three iterations. And then for some of them, we're like, uh, that's a miss, we'll mark that off the list, we won't do that again. And then some of them, we finally found our stride and we're like, yes, this is it. And then we could just push on the accelerator and off we went. And so it's it really does take that blending of the self-knowledge combined with the outcomes Combined with how can you reach your customers? And I know another personal thing, I think this is smart for any business owner, but it's probably just because it's my own personal approach. With the business model that we took, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, one of the ways that we define business model is how does money come into your business? What are the revenue sources? And as a business owner... I was never comfortable with any one business model being greater than 50% of the revenue coming in. So when we had our different offers and programs, whether it was our coaches console technology or our online course or some of our group programs or whatever we were offering, whatever income we generated from that was never more than, it was always less than 50% of the overall revenue because I have so many colleagues that when they promote one offer, If it's a miss, their entire lifestyle gets turned upside down because of the negative impact. And so that was an important comfort level for me as a business owner. And it just goes back to that self-knowledge piece. What are you comfortable with? Some people are more comfortable with bigger risks. And I was like, nope, that's not me. I want to put my head on the pillow at night and I want to sleep soundly without the stress keeping me awake. And that's what that looks like for me. Any comments about that?
1: Another way to think about it is it's the ecosystem of your business. And so it's the simplistic business model, which is good to start with is the sales. model. But then the very next thing you need to think about is how do these things all connect to each other and relate to each other? And how do they feed into each other? It's common that people will do a signature talk and intro workshop and then, quote, unquote, forget to share what they have outside of that. So, you know, people say, well, I just forgot. No, no, I mean, forgot the first time. The first time you forgot. Second time, that was a choice because you didn't build a system in structurally in the business model. So you go to somebody's social media account, you go to their Instagram, but there's no like link in bio. You can't really find anything uh, out about them. And they make it very hard. It's like there's no paths through the woods, it's all just underbrushing. You just sort of have to listen and hope you hear where they are next. Rather than making it very easy for them to find you and very easy once they found you to figure out what is the next thing. I mean, I've gotten so many websites where I can't figure out how to work with them or what they do. Usually you got to connect everything to everything.
0: Another thing that I see a lot of new coaches is that they're in this getting started to get started and they're doing that, you know, getting ready to get ready for one or two years because they are believing they have to have the entire ecosystem before they flip the switch and really go for it. And there might be situations, there probably are, where that is appropriate and okay. And more times than not, it's an evolution that happens. It doesn't have to all be built necessarily right from the get-go.
1: Impossible too. I mean, and unwise, because if you're going to try to start with a robust ecosystem like that, you just don't know how to maintain it. It would be as if somebody said, hey, I have this flower garden. It's 35 acres. It's taken me uh, 50 years of my life to build. I'm going away for the weekend. Could you take care of it? You have no idea how to take care of that. You have no idea. Start very, very simple. And you, so then you start with the thing that's going to be most exciting for you to do. So maybe that's I'm going to do a lot of talks. Maybe I'm just going to give a lot of free, you know, one-on-one sessions out. Kind of like, oh, maybe I'm going to attend the best networking. Maybe I'm at the festival. Whatever. There's a lot of ways to do it. But yeah, you start with something very simple that you can do. And also, it should be said, is a lot of people jump into the business hoping it's going to it's just like they leave their job too soon. Basically, you know, there's let's say four stages of business. I got this from Mark Silver. He got it from somewhere else. But you know, stage one is this: the creation phase. And your, your business is like a little sapling. It's just coming out of the earth. It's so green. And you can't hang anything on it yet. It doesn't even have really the woody growth around it. And at that point, you're changing a lot. You're experimenting. You're trying a lot of things. And you're growing very fast. And the ideas are coming fast and furious. And you're not sure even what you're going to look like because you look so different. And at that point, so you can't hang anything on it. You cannot sustain yourself. This is the experimentation time. This is where you have a full-time job, or at least a part-time job, or you're living on savings, or your spouse is supporting you, but the business is not supporting you. Stage two is uh, this kind of concentration phase. The concentration is where now you're starting to think about your niche, starting to think about your business model. You don't have to totally dial it, but you're you're moving in that direction. And now your cash flow is up and down, up and down as a real roller coaster, because while you're working with clients that you finally got, you don't have time to do the marketing. So then it dries up. and Then, oh, I got a market. So you worked on the market, but now you don't have time to work with clients because you're so busy. You know, and it's, it's like this. But you might have some part-time help. Maybe one person, part-time, and that's it. Stage three, momentum. And this is where the cash flow is really smoothed out. You had your business model largely set up. You've got the systems. It's working pretty great. Maybe you Maybe have a few people you've hired. Everyone's getting paid well. Life is good. And then stage four, most people don't want to get to stage four, but that's the sort of enterprise level where you are now not just an entrepreneur but a business owner and at this point business model is kind of everything and you have the systems and the checklist and the policies and procedures manual and you could sell the business it run this well enough you could pass it on to somebody else and so it's one thing is it usually takes about three years to get from stage one to three well three years with real focus and probably getting some help but it's still about three years it takes some time so to expect to get to that phase of momentum and groove in the first year is madness. And a lot of people, I see it, they leave their job and then they just, they put all this burden on it. And, you know, at stage two, you can have a hammock. At stage three, man, you have a hammock and you can, you know, the tree is really big and you can probably have a few hammocks on it. And it can support, you know, and, and stage four is more than become a forest of trees. Very solid, but it takes time. There's no way to rush the growth of a tree any more than you can digest food faster. You can.
2: Yeah. You just can't.
0: So let's summarize some of the things that we've talked about regarding the topic of business model. We kicked it off first by defining business model. What does that mean? Because a lot of people, I mean, could mean different things to different people. You gave us a great pyramid of where business model fits because it's not the first thing that you come up with and we kind of put it into a perspective. And I love when you shared with us that it's easy to get lost in the glamour of a business model. and. While a business might look good for somebody else, it may just not be a fit for you. It may not be aligned for you. And that's when you took us, as you were just sharing, into the four S's of the business model. And I love that Venn diagram that you gave us, the safe, sustainable, simple, and satisfying. And how you gave us the tip, always start with lifestyle and then back into it. Because when you create it from that way, consistency is gonna be an easy thing, even though it might feel new or awkward or uncomfortable, or you might have doubts or trepidations. When you back into it and it's built around your lifestyle and yourself, it's easier to sustain. And then we talked about how do you pick a model and you gave us some really great tips on how do you pick that most aligned model and gave us some good drivers and we got into the discussion and I really want to capture this for our listeners because as we're going through how do you pick that model and making sure if you try one model not switching too soon or giving up too fast but you talked about don't react but respond and really be mindful about how you respond then we talked about it as an ecosystem and I love right there at the end you even gave us the four stages of business and I think this is so profound I think a lot of coaches and entrepreneurs just starting their business they set a an unrealistic expectation that says, oh, well, in six months, I should be able to do this. I should be a master at this and I should be wildly successful. And I love that you gave us a perspective of, you know, it's gonna take about three years to really get to that sustainable, consistent, steady, reliable experience. Tad, do you have any parting words for our listeners?
1: I do, I do. Here's the most important question I could ask for a business model. How long do you wanna be in business for? How long do you intend to be in it? Because genuinely, with no judgment about it, if this is just a short-term thing, awesome. Forget everything we said. Go out, have fun. Get as many clients as you can. God bless you. But if you want to be in the long term, business model has to be considered because the default is to not think this through. Building a business model, building an architecture around your business is hard. And that's one of the biggest shifts I see that most entrepreneurs need to make is the shift from action to architecture, from hustle to housing, that's the shift and very difficult to make in the short term. It costs in the short term. The budgets always run over. You know, you think it's going to, you're going to get things done in a certain period of time and you don't, it's always going to take longer and it's going to cost more and it's going to be a bigger hassle, but you will have it in the end if you keep persisting. So how long do you want to be in business? That's the parting question that
0: people consider. Beautiful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches, and also a big thank you to Tad for this incredible conversation. You can find out more about him at marketingforhippies.com forward slash steps. That's marketingforhippies.com forward slash steps, plural. And specifically, when you get there, go to fundamental number four on that page. That's where you're going to find a lot of great resources specific to the topic of business model that we've been talking about today. Tad, thank you so much for coming to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mircee FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Blowing Up and Making It. Mishi Lance produced this episode. I wrote this episode together with her, and Cynthia Lamb is our supervising producer, and Danny Inney is our executive producer. To catch the great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on MirCFM's YouTube channel or your favorite podcast player. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a comment or a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you and see you next time.
2: And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much. That the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere and that's what he did he wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out or was it
1: in each episode of once upon a business lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs coaches and course creators
2: Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible and it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud. We can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite.
1: To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.